Welcome to Horror Makes Us Happy, the podcast where we ask the question, what is it about horror that makes us happy? Your hosts are Steve Becker and myself, Chris Whitman, and you can find out more about us on our website, horrormakesushappy.com. Before we get started, this is the trigger warning. We are a horror podcast, so we'll be talking about horror things and horror culture, which could involve such uh, sensitive subjects such as like child abuse, rape, F-bombs. Bad stuff. But with that out of the way, uh, Steve, what do we have coming up on the schedule? Uh, well, we've still got about 10 people on deck. Uh, we're adding them Sweet. as we go. So <laughs> still uh, still not going to go through the whole list because it's too many to name. But um, as far as other announcements, uh, we are doing listen parties on Discord every Sunday at 7 p.m. Eastern. If you'd like to uh, join us as we go through the episodes and uh, chat about them, please feel free to join us. There's a invite link on our website, horrormixeshappy.com. Uh, and then after that, often uh, Chris does a drawing party at 9 p.m. for his uh, webcomic that he does, which is piecesofflesh.com. Yep. And also we've got a coupon code for my book on smashwords.com. The book is a guide to the recovery toolbox. Uh, it's about 80 of the tools of recovery that I learned uh, in my journey. Uh, not meant to be like a real self-help book in the normal sense, but it's more like a field guide, um, sort of an introduction to the tools. And then you can get up to speed with them faster and then maybe use them in your recovery or talking to people that you know in recovery and things like that. But um, today we have <clears throat> Ms. Claire Castleberry. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Our pleasure. Uh, so the things you're already known for, we've got Azalea House, Second Skin, and Five Little Deaths. Do you want to let us know what you're currently working on? Sure. Right now I'm putting together a short story collection. It kind of centers around mm. female vengeance. Mm. And then I'm also awesome. working on kind of a sort of, it's almost like a memoir-y, kind of almost like The Shards by Brett Easton Ellis uh, thing. <laughs> About my time going to college in Baton Rouge when there were actually a few active serial killers in the area. Okay. Um, that so, sounds yeah. interesting. Oh my gosh, it was terrifying. Um, so I'm also doing the whole book signing tour circuit reading thing for Forbidden Gardens, which will be out November 7th. Cool. Nice. Is that the anthology one? Or is that the memoir one? Forbidden Gardens is kind of like a follow-up to Azalea House. As far as like oh, okay. the memoiry type thing, this is just kind of like a separate thing that I'm working on. I don't even know what it is yet. It's very, <laughs> it's very drafty. <laughs> yeah, memoirs are supposed to be like that. They're organic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was typing when you were talking there, so I apologize. But did you say geographically where you went to college and the thing about the serial killers? I was at Louisiana State University, and so this was in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Um, so in the late mid to late 90s, there was a serial killer in the area named Derek Todd Lee. And then later on, there was another serial killer, Sean Vincent Gillis. And then I think there was another one operating out of the New Orleans area. I can't Jesus. recall... What is his name? It's it's terrifying. I mean, like, it's that's almost like Son just, of Sam times three. You got, I, you got so many to choose from that you can be worried about every day. Right? Oh my gosh, I know. I mean, it was just that it was a time of high anxiety plus college on top of everything else. You know, uh huh. We were all stressful. Yeah, no, not at all, not at all. Right. <laughs> well, I was going to ask whether or not any of these had been caught. So the fact that you have names for two or three of them—that's yes. that's a good thing. Yes. Um, 
I guess we will get to that uh, further on in the call because college would come later. But I don't know how much we've talked about this uh, offline or if you've gotten a chance to listen to any of our calls. But basically what we do is we break this into four sections. We talk about childhood, teenage years, and adulthood. And then the wrap up at the end, we talk about any common themes that have come up during the previous sections of the call. So starting with childhood, and by the way, this is not meant to be a therapy session. So if there's any questions you don't (laughs) want to answer, just say pass and we'll move on. But starting with childhood, what are your earliest memories of some scary things? I had, you know, I guess it's not typically, you know, it's not uncommon, but I had something traumatic happen as a child and it kind of shaped the way that I interact with people. And I've gotten a lot better therapy helped, um, but I think it heightened my intuition about people in general. So I do see a silver lining to that particular event, but I've always kind of been terrified of everything, (laughs) Uh, you know, people in general, and then I almost drowned, you know, and then then it shows up time and time again in my writing. And it, I, I always notice the same themes. It's intimacy and fear interwoven mixed in with the fear of drowning. And then usually with a strong sense of place, you know, since everything in Louisiana is pretty much haunted. Mm. So yeah, yeah. A few, a few things kind of, kind of shaped the rest of my life. (laughs) Mm. Uh, Reading between the lines here. And again, don't know what you're comfortable sharing, but intimacy and fear um, and intuition about people. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Kind kind of, kind of uh, highlights what some of that trauma might have been related to. Yeah. Um, that is a a terrible thing to deal with in childhood. Um, yeah. Did you have any help with that? I mean, or was it something that didn't get discovered until much later? It was, it's really funny. And I think that this is pretty common with, with people who have suffered trauma in childhood is that I knew that there was something underlying and I would remember flashes of it, mm. um, but it didn't really come up until later after I got a divorce in my thirties Um, And it's really funny because I went to like a group therapy kind of thing. And and a lot of people said the same thing. You know, it kind of takes something stressful again to bring up what exactly happened. Yeah. Yeah, It's it's interesting. Yeah. It sounds like it would be something that like you, you don't really bring up unless you have to. And yeah. Yeah. Situations like that bring stuff like that to the forefront because it's a choice now. Right. Exactly. My personal experience, at least, has been that it's, <coughs> excuse me, sometimes just luck of the draw of having certain other things happening in my adult life that that triggers things. And then maybe weeks or months later, my mind will still be kind of rolling over these things. And then the, it's just a chance occurrence of whether or not two thoughts come back to back. And then I, the light bulb comes on and I realize, oh, there was a connection there. Yeah. Like I can remember two different times where years later I was standing in the shower. It, it's funny that both times they were in, I was in the shower, which is, you thoughts. know, yeah. Randomly thinking about <laughs> different things as I'm, you know, going about my business cleaning and, um, and the, the pieces fell into place. I'm like, holy shit. I didn't even, you know, like, I wish those pieces had fallen into place years ago, but you know, just sometimes that's how it is. Yeah, it's it's so fascinating how the mind works like that. It is. Um, hmm. All right. So 
I guess general answer then that it didn't get addressed in childhood. Let's ask some of the other childhood questions. Uh, In terms of like the horror genre, was there any media that stood out to you or did you not become a fan of that until later? Oh, I was a fan very early on. I read a lot. And then when I ran out of books, I would go down the driveway. My mother owned a, a neighborhood bar. And I used to go down there and spy on her customers through the bullet holes in the the side of the building. (laughs) How iconic. That is just awesome. I mean, you can't make this stuff up. So, I mean, it it was great. You know, it was so much drama and these, these like epic knife fights with, with bikers. And it was just, oh my goodness. It was just so thrilling. And then I got caught Uh, (laughs) And that was right around the time that a little video store opened up down the road. So aside from reading, my mother would go and get me these horror VHS tapes to keep me away from the bar because she was a huge fan of horror, too. Ah. Um, So we. (laughs) Honey, please stay away from the knife. Yeah. Watch Hellraiser instead. Right. (laughs) Yeah. So so it kind of worked, you know, when I was reading, too. So I guess she thought, you know, this is fine. You know, she'll turn out fine. (laughs) um, It turned out fine. Yeah, yeah. yeah, we we all we all pretty much did. But um, yeah, I used to crouch behind my dad's chair while they watched movies, and they rented and brought home Halloween too. And I kind of you know showed myself when I screamed when Michael Myers stabbed the nurse and that that epic scene. So um, I was already hooked. And then she would rent things like Night of the Living Dead, which was one of her favorites. Alien was another one of her favorites. Mm-hmm. Classics. And um, so we used to, I mean, she would have me on her lap while she read these John D. McDonald pulp novels. And that's kind of how I learned to read. And we would watch horror together, too. So after this traumatic event that I mentioned in childhood, I developed something called selective mutism, where you just kind of stop talking or you only speak to certain people. So this was kind of like her method to get me to talk about things. She would say, well, what would you do if, you know, zombies invaded the house? And, you know, where would you go? Watch how these people deal with this situation. So it kind of presented a lot of interesting what ifs for me. Um, And she would quiz me on what I would do. And, you know, I hope I never have to rely on that if we ever have a zombie apocalypse. But it sure did come in handy when... (laughs) You know, I decided to write later on down the line, Mm. but I was pretty good about sneaking around and being unseen. Something that I took like a great thrill in. Mm. (laughs) I loved to just, you know, go around being unnoticed. Hide and seek was your favorite game. Yeah, oh my gosh. Oh yes. I got in trouble so many times at department stores for hiding out in the little clothing. <laughs> uh-huh. Dude, it is so easy to hide in those things. It's just like a little, know. a little house made of clothes. Yep. Exactly. And no one expects you to be in there. I no. know, right? Well, now it's kind of like a thing you see all over social media. People oh, yeah. are around our age are like, hey, do you remember hiding I mean, they in don't these even have malls house? anymore, so it doesn't matter. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, But there was another one, another incident where, you know, I had watched all of these kind of classic horror movies, but the thing that just kind of, I mean, it was, this was like a car accident. I couldn't look away. I got so good at sneaking around that at the baby's house, 
I was able to hide behind another chair and watch the Texas Chainsaw Massacre <laughs> when I was about seven or so. I mean, it was just okay. like a train train wreck, and I, I couldn't look away. But <laughs> I, I just developed like a, a fascination with horror books and movies at an early age, and um, it, it never waned. <laughs> <laughs> Um, some of our guests have reported that there was a dividing line where before this dividing line, they were afraid of certain things, uh, horror related. And then after the dividing line, they saw it as uh, enjoyment. Um, was there that kind of dividing line for you or was it always pleasure? Texas Chainsaw Massacre scared the crap out of me. I don't think that <laughs> anyone under 10 really, I mean, it's probably not a good idea to watch it when you're that young. But to me, at that point, that was really a pivotal moment in my life because I watched it. I got through it. It was scary. But at the end of the movie, I was okay. So yeah, because, you know, Sally gets yeah. away. So it's, it's a happy ending. And, exactly. you know, there's one thing I, I just thought of. Um, I don't know if Texas Chainsaw has come up in the childhood uh, stage very often, but um, it does kind of lure you in if you're a mm -hmm. young child because the the goofiness with franklin in the beginning where yeah. he's all <laughs> and, and razzing everyone like that that seems fun and and innocent and then and then the screaming and the extreme close-ups on eyeballs and, I, yeah. yeah yeah it's a bait and switch <laughs> oh yeah it totally is um and it's still you know i think one of my favorite movies um, because the ending is so satisfying, but I came away from that thinking, okay, things happen, but I don't have to be a victim. I can, I can deal with the fear and kind of press through it. So to me, in that sense, horror has always been the best kind of therapy. Yeah. it's a good way to put it. Did you participate in Halloween as a kid? Oh yeah. Yeah. So we, this is really funny. Um, you'll, you'll love this, but I, I grew up kind of out in the country so my mom would take me to Baton Rouge for trick-or-treating. This neighborhood was popping, man. I mean, everybody got into it. Um, it like the streets were, were filled with kids. It was just a, a blast. But so we lived out in the country and we had one trick-or-treater come by our house. And it was when my dad was home and, you know, someone knocked on the door and he thought, Oh my God, who, who is this? And he opened the door and it was a trick or treater. And he was like, man, I don't have anything to give you. I've got some spaghetti. Here you go. So he, <laughs> he, my, this, this is like, so my dad too. So he gave, this poor, say like alcohol. <laughs> he gave this poor child a spaghetti. We, after that, we never got any trick or treaters mm -hmm. ever again. <laughs> Was it like yeah. was it like Charlie Kelly from Always Sunny style too? Like no bowl or anything? Just like here's some spaghetti. I'll put it in your hands. <laughs> I think it was at least in a Tupperware. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> or I just dump it in the bag with the candy. Just, Here you go, kid. It's fresh. I doubt the kid had any other candy. <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> uh, it was so funny. So yeah, that's kind of like a classic family story. <laughs> <laughs> did, when you went to Baton Rouge, did you have a favorite costume? I dressed up as a black cat every year without fail. I, I chose like a ghost costume one year and totally regretted it. But I think <laughs> the black cat resonated with me because black cats like to kind of sneak around mm. in the shadow. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I just really love the idea of being a background character and observing. I still do. So Halloween was really magical for me as a child. I loved yeah, it. I bet. Especially in Baton Rouge. I mean, that's yeah. like, just, you know, the, the whole theme of costuming is just kind of built into that area by default. 
Oh my gosh. So true. Yeah. They really, really got into it. I think uh, you and I would get along in prison because I'm, I'm also that type of sit back and people watch kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Sometimes I question, you know, why I decided to become an author. With this kind of like, yeah. I'm like, oh my gosh, I have to do all these readings and signings and stuff. This is not really what I signed up for. <laughs> It's the other half of it because you're doing the people yes. watching while you're doing the writing, but then yeah, you exactly. Do the, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Just, you yeah. know, split yourself into two personalities or more. And uh, <laughs> one of them can people watch and one of them can interact. Yes. Yeah. Well, that's kind of what happens. <laughs> did you have any scary dreams when you were a kid or reoccurring dreams? I did later on have dreams that I was being buried alive. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure if that was just from growing up around Louisiana folklore with so many, you know, it's like pirate stories, buried treasures, swamps, you know, kind of grew Mm -hmm. up with those kinds of things, or if that came from some movie, but they they lasted for a couple of years and kind of came back in stressful times when I was an adult, but um, really don't have too many nightmares anymore. I do have lucid dreams that are very strange. (laughs) (laughs) Well, at least they're lucid, so you're in control. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, a lot of the times they're kind of boring. Like I'll go see what the cat is up to, or something. <laughs> <like that. laughs> well, you know so. that makes sense because, like, if you're in a lucid dream and you realize you're dreaming, the first thing you would do would be like, eh, "I wonder what this thing that's normally this in real life yeah. is like in, in dream." <laughs> Was there ever a time in your real life when you're terrified of something as a child? You mentioned a drowning or near drowning. Yeah. Yeah. So I had this incident, I was at a babysitter's house and I fell into um, their little fish pond. And the weirdest thing was that there was this uh, sense of time loss. So Mm -hmm. I think that that's what was so terrifying is that there was this time period where I guess I was out of it. And it was just like the sense of total loss of control. And it, it freaked me out and I wouldn't go near water, but my mom made me take swimming lessons. And it, you know, I still, ha- I love to swim when I was living in California. I loved to surf, but I still occasionally get this sense of doom <laughs> when I'm in the water. I mean, especially in the, like the Pacific ocean, you don't really, you know, all you could think about is jaws, you know, <laughs> sharks, uh, something weird, sea creatures, you know. I and will then, not go in the ocean if I can't feel the bottom. Oh my gosh, yeah. Well, it, it is worth it if you can kind of push past the fear and catch a wave or something like that, but I do, yeah, mm-hmm. I still have, like, some moments where I'm like, oh no, to hell with this, I'm just gonna mm-hmm. go sit on the beach and watch mm-hmm. the waves. <laughs> yeah. Well, your mom making you take swimming lessons was probably a good thing, considering, uh, you know, what happened. That's, yeah. That's, you know, at least make sure that kind of thing can't happen again. Right. Mm-hmm. Was there ever a time in your childhood when you felt completely calm or safe or bliss? Yeah. So I, I was reading fairly early and I also enjoyed writing. So I would retreat to my bedroom and, and do some writing and just kind of hang out, listen to music. I grew up in the eighties. So there's tons of great stuff on the radio, <laughs> mm-hmm. but I also found a lot of peace in the woods around my house as well. So mm-hmm. that kind of became an escape for me when, when things would kind of get too loud, I would just go out there and enjoy the quiet. Which is nice. Yeah. Oh yeah. Being that you already were uh, identifying as, as a fan of the genre it, in some respect, 
did you stick with that in teenage years or did you like veer away from it and come back to it in adult years? Oh yeah. I stuck with it. Um, (laughs) uh, We got cable and that was just like the most incredible thing ever because tales from the crypt would come on HBO and they also had these like eighties, nineties erotic thrillers on late night television. You know, the ones with like the jazz music playing in the background. Oh yeah, Like USA up all night. Yes. Love those. There was always some kind of like minor tension, like who will die. And then Mm -hmm. in between there were these ads for phone sex. And Mm -hmm. so that was, that was great. (laughs) So, you know, in my college years that really influenced me because I would just write these for fun stories and I would read like personal ads and kind of weave them in with like phone sex operator backstories, you know, um, Mm. you know, they, they placed the ad, met this person, fell in love, had sex. But since I was also into horror, like the people in the personal ads had horrible fates, like they died or a werewolf came in through the window and ate them while they were naked. That sort of thing. So, (laughs) cause that always happens. Like once you take your clothes off, that's doom. Right. Yeah. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Sealed your fate. Yeah, yeah, it sure did. <laughs> <laughs> Any other uh, specific media jump onto you from your teenagers? Um, I really loved Candyman as a teen, and that was also kind of when there were some great, you know, horror things that came out in the nineties. You know, Candyman was definitely a favorite. You know, and I would revisit a lot of things that I would watch in my childhood years, like I was obsessed with the howling series, all of them. Uh (laughs) Um, And some are good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in kind of like a questionable way, (laughs) it's it's kind of like more of a fun movie. So the things that I would watch in the eighties, I would love to rewatch and revisit again as a teenager, like, you know, the thing American werewolf in London uh, child's play cat's eye was another favorite of mine serpent in the rainbow that was another one that uh my mom loved quite a bit it's cat's eye the stephen king one with the electric yes, floor yes yes oh yeah it was and so that's a that one was really entertaining for me because i would put it on and my little brother was terrified of that movie. Do you remember <laughs> the little the little story with like the creature that comes out of the wall with like the jester hat think so <laughs> he hated that thing yeah it's, it's worth a, a rewatch it's pretty humorous if you if you watch it now it's still the story still holds up though <laughs> <laughs> what did you like about Candyman? oh gosh it was just such, the story was so good and i think part of the reason i love horror is just the atmosphere mm-hmm. Like they're, they're going into, you know, a certain part of the city that's different from where they come from. And, you know, there's like a whole horror behind, you know, repressed areas as well that are just kind of forgotten. And I think that that movie does such a good job of highlighting that. And that, that kind of, yeah, that kind of goes back to the serial killer cases that I was talking about when we first started talking um, that one serial killer, Sean Vincent Gillis, he focused on sex workers. So I think he killed like eight people and you didn't really hear about it until he was caught. And it's like, oh, this is the guy who has been terrorizing these poor people. And the news just, they just completely ignored it because of these people's backgrounds. 
Um, so I think that's what I like about Candyman is that it, it kind of, the story revolves around that kind of narrative. Mm-hmm. And I think it's important, you know, there's still just not enough focus on crimes in places mm-hmm. like that. So um, that to me is important. Mm-hmm. When you said it was a good story, the things that you just mentioned about, you know, relating to the people and the trials and tribulations, is that what you were referring to or was there something else? in addition to that? No, I think it's, it's not so much, it, maybe it is a little bit of relating to these people um, and, you know, feeling invisible and knowing that they were kind of invisible in the public eye. Um, I think that that's something that I've, I've always related to. And that's probably why I like to rewatch it. Mm. But I think there's also kind of like the forbidden love story behind it between Candyman and the the main character who's researching his backstory. Um, Forbidden love and I think like love and kind of all different avenues and angles that does kind of show up again and again in my story. So I think that's part of the appeal, too. It's been a long time since I watched that movie, and I don't remember a forbidden love aspect to it. What was what am I forgetting? It was implied between Candyman yeah. and uh, and and the woman. Like there was yeah. definitely some tension between them. Yeah, yeah, and you know, at the the end, I don't want to spoil it for anyone who hasn't seen it. Like, but That's who it. hasn't who hasn't seen it? But mm. there's this just kind of like romantic embrace and. He mm-hmm. says, I can't remember what the line is, but he's like, I've been waiting lifetimes for you or something mm-hmm. like that. And there's this yeah. artistic depiction of the two of them, <laughs> the likeness of their characters that goes back to the Civil War era. <laughs> Had a real uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula with the. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Dylan, you know? Yeah. There, it's interesting that there's like a, also a double entendre there because. I don't remember that scene or the thing about, you know, going back to the 1800s, but also, I mean, waiting multiple lifetimes, it could be referring to the ones that he's killed. I mean, <laughs> that's true. Yeah. That is so true. <laughs> Ooh, creepy. Those were, those were short lifetimes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Shortened yeah. by him. Uh, what about tales from the crypt? Was there a particular episode or scene that you remember for that? You know, all of them freaked me out, <laughs> but there was this one in particular it was about this creepy convict dressed as Santa Claus. And he came into the house via an open window and terrorized this family. And that was the one that I think freaked me out the most. That still stands out in my mind, I think, because it's a home invasion thing. And mm. uh, man, every time I see that in a movie or read about it, I'm just like, oh, uh, <laughs> that's, that's just, just like terrifying. But all of them were so good. It's 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 really hard to um to pick out a favorite. There was another one about an artist that was directed by John Harrison, um, and I actually got to meet him at StokerCon and tell him how much I love that episode. <laughs> it was so <laughs> epic. Loved awesome. it. Yeah, but I don't think I ever missed an episode. I was so addicted to Tales from the Crypt. What was the episode about the artist about? I don't remember. I'm kind of blanking on specifics right now, but um. He would um, depict these murders and then, you know, it kind of has like the diabolical twist in the middle of it where he's, he's, you know, um, coercing. Yeah. Coercing thing. So it was, 
it was a good one. They were all kind of deep, you know, they all had this kind of message if you, oh, yeah. if you kind of look at them and rewatch them, which I loved. Yeah, they all had kind of a, there was always a monkey's paw vibe to it, you know? Yeah, it like, you can yeah. have this, but. Mm-hmm. Did you participate in Halloween as a team? I did a little bit. Um, you know, growing up in Louisiana, again, like everybody was into it. So as I got a little bit older, um, I used to, here we go back to the observing thing again. I used to love to go to the French Quarter and just sit on a bench and oh, yeah. watch people dressed up walking around. That was, I mean, it sounds so simple, but I just loved it. No, people watching is the best. We have oh, something yeah. here in Florida that's uh, like a, a little mini Bourbon Street in a way. It's uh, Ybor City. And in my early, my late teens to like 18 to 20s, we, we would just go to Ybor and sometimes sit and people watch for hours. Yeah, there are definitely some characters out there. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Especially in the French Quarter, you can get your fill of people in about an hour. <laughs> I bet. Oh uh, yeah. Well, I guess it wouldn't be a favorite costume on yourself since you weren't dressing up. But uh, I guess did you have a favorite costume that you saw someone else wearing in your teenage years? Yes. Oh, there's a whole vampire culture in New Orleans, so it was just absolutely fascinating to see people's takes on that. I mean, you would have, like, Lost Boys-type vampires, Dracula-type vampires, sexy vampires, you know, business vampires. (laughs) It was so amazing. So that was really my favorite, because I think the vampire is just one of those classic things that you could do so many takes on, and it never got old for me. Uh, any scary dreams as a teen? You know, not really. I, I did that, that dream that I was talking about of being buried alive that did kind of come up a few times in my teen years. So I'm still not really sure what that was all about. Like I said, I'm not really sure if I picked that up from media or, Hey, it might've been, you know, feeling the effects of social suffocation from putting myself out there too much. Who knows? Mm. That's I had awesome. kind of like a, a big friend group and I think it was like just too much for me. And I, you know, I think really I I'm an introvert. And when I was in my teen years, I didn't know that. And I was just trying to, you know, do what my friends were doing. You know, when you're a teenager, you you're stupid like that, right? <laughs> you don't know yourself. So uh, that may very well be where those dreams came from. Possible. I, also may have been related to your traumatic experience too. I mean, since you said that that didn't even come to mind until your thirties, there might be some relation to this. It's possibly Mm. Uh, (laughs) side tangent on being buried alive. I saw a thing the other day. I think it was actually a meme, but it was a very informative meme and it was all about what to do if you're buried alive, multiple steps, like a diagram, like on an airplane. And the, the one that stuck out the most was take your shirt, put it over your head. So you have an air pocket and then break the uh, top and let the dirt uh, fall in on you. And then I think it was like, try to sit up because then you'll shift the dirt to your waist. You are welcome, listeners. This mm. is how you get out of buried alive. <laughs> I just cured so many phobias. Put your shirt over you your head, sure you have did. a pocket of air. Oh, uh, the other thing that I've read about that too is that if, that, if the sitting up part doesn't work to... Um, Wiggle? kind of it's instead of trying to go straight up, it's basically kind of go side to side because if there's so much weight, uh, if you're buried deeply, then 
it's too much weight above you, but if you kind of go side to side, then a little bit of the dirt will drop below you. And mm-hmm. then you kind of sit on top of that. And then you wiggle the other way and some more drops on the other side. If you can go back and forth. Okay. Then you can... Anyway. Good to know. <laughs> um, anything in a real life actually terrify you as a teen? Oh yeah. I mean, people, intimacy, <laughs> everything really. <laughs> Uh, going out, leaving my house. I don't know. I think I was just kind of like a paranoid person growing up. Mm. Um, now, of course, I kind of know where that comes from and I'm better able to deal with it. But I dressed up as a goth and kind of kept quiet. And that just so happened to scare the crap out of people. So I thought, <laughs> it works, right? I yes. thought, this is, this is great. You know, just scare away the ones who you don't want to be around or who don't want to understand you and keep mm-hmm. around the ones who do mm-hmm. want to understand you. So yeah, that and if anybody a, fucks with you, you just, you know, hiss at them or, yeah. or say you, you put a curse on them or something. And exactly. They, they actually believe it. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, that worked very well for me in my teen years. <laughs> <laughs> so did, so did reading things like Poppy Z bright or Anne Rice, like right, you know, and, uh, out on the lawn during my lunch breaks, you know, um, it attracted good people who were reading the same things, but it also kind of repelled mm. people who mm-hmm. <laughs> just didn't get it. I was wondering if Poppy was going to come up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, of course. Poor vampires. Yeah. <laughs> yeah he, he's a fantastic writer. Um, just, I mean, even his, uh, his stuff about the cooking culture in New Orleans, I've read those too. And they're, they're fantastic. Nice, nice. Yeah. Was there was there ever a time in your teens when you felt completely calm or safer? This, yeah, I in my teens we found this coffee shop in Baton Rouge that was kind of like it had a bohemian vibe. You know, people would go there and play acoustic guitar. And of course, there was coffee. That's where my coffee addiction started. Coffee but they is just, life. Yes. Oh my gosh. And they just kind of welcomed creative people in that space. You could go in and buy a cup of coffee for a dollar and sit there all afternoon and all night. Um, And it was just like a calm place to go with my calm friends who were also into kind of like writing and drawing and hanging out and playing chess and things like that. So, Dude, yeah. Yeah. Totally can relate. God, I miss those nights. I know. Coffee shop culture back in the day was just, it's so epic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we would do exactly that at a local coffee yeah. shop here with my friend who's uh, no longer here. He moved abroad. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, exactly that. Coffee, yeah. chess, and I would work on my comic. Yeah. Yeah. Good times. Good mm-hmm. times. Mm-hmm. Um, did you at this point have other friends who were into horror or is it still just your mom mainly? Uh, well, um, I had some friends who were kind of forced into the situation. <laughs> By you? Yeah, yeah. Um, so You're educating I, them. Yeah, I, that's that's how I liked to look at it. Um, so I, I have a, a childhood friend who, you know, she's completely opposite, blonde, very like preppy, outgoing, kind of like very positive, upbeat. And, you know, it was just kind of like a given anytime she would come to my house, we were going to watch a horror movie and <laughs> she would just like cling to me. I think I still have scars from her fingernails <laughs> on my <eyebrow. laughs> and she would force me to go to the bathroom with her every time she needed to pee. And um, she, she's going to kill me when she listens. To this. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm it, was sure. good, it was a good relationship. You know, when I would go to her house, we would watch things like The Princess Bride or, or what have you. So I, I was well-rounded, I, mm. I'd like to think. But um, mm-hmm. yeah. I'm sure you've seen the meme of the two sisters. Yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yep, that was exactly how it was. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Moving into adult years, what were some of your uh, favorite uh, media or have been your favorite media in your adult years? Uh, This is going to be a little bit strange, but there's this book called The Gift of Fear. Um, I think the author is Gavin DeBrocker. Everyone should read that because it really just kind of centers around intuition and how it can save you. And there are a lot of nonfiction anecdotes in there about people who had escaped really dangerous potential situations by listening to their fear and getting out of sticky situations Mm. that really, it, it scared the crap out of me, but it was useful. And it kind of reinforced this idea that I had that um, intuition was a a lifesaver. Yeah. So it really had a, a profound effect on me. And as an adult, as I moved into adulthood and started going to college, that is when all of the serial killer activities started up. And it was really terrifying. Um, and I thought for a while that I wanted to go into forensic psychology, but it was just too much for me. I think that by that time, I wanted to have a more removed role and just kind of fictionalize things mm-hmm. and write about them from a place that was a little bit more removed. Um, so that's really when I think I did pull away from horror a little bit in my college years, because it, especially anything having to do with like slashers or serial killers, um, because it was just too close to home, I think. Yeah. And then after reading the gift of Pierre by Gavin DeBrocker, I decided to kind of take a more academic um, stance on it and, remove myself a little bit more, which, which helped. You're not the first person to uh, talk about things like slashers and, and real yeah. life being too close to home. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, I have also heard about the gift of fear before, although I think you might be the first guest that's brought it up, but I, I've mm-hmm. heard of it outside of that. I highly um, recommend it. <laughs> any other media jumped out to? Oh, uh, let's see. I was pretty busy with, um, with college then. You know, I was extremely blessed, though. I had this class, and the name of it was, like, Gender and Horror. Oh, my gosh. This this class was just, like, absolutely amazing. That was actually the class that got me more into Poppy Z. Bright. We mm-hmm. read Exquisite Corpse in that class. This is how awesome that professor was. Nice. Yeah, we we read all kinds of things. I was mostly reading a lot of books. Let's see, what else do I have up here on my shelf that was from her? Robert Block's Psychos, a little bit of Clive Barker. I mean, all kinds of things. Anytime that I had free time to read, I was I was reading horror. I've got all these like nineties novels up here that I'm taking a peek at that are behind me. A lot of things that came out by Stephen King. I loved to revisit those things like Cujo that I read when I was a kid. I'd, I'd love to pick them up again and, and see how it applied to, to gender. <laughs> mm. Was there a scene in exquisite course corpse that uh, stands out to you? I think all of it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. um, 
it's really, it's just like a, a wonderful educated take on serial killers, I think. And the fact that it's told in first person, most of the book is told in first person. Um, that just really, I mean, I kind of felt like we were getting good insight into how people think. Um, it was just fascinating. What about psychos? Oh, psychos. Oh my goodness. So this one, I'll have to, to take a look at it again. So this is Robert Block Psycho's Tales of Madness and Murder. I think there's one in here by Richard Christian Matheson that I remember very, very well. <laughs> Let's see. Oh, here's another one. Grandpa's Head by Lawrence Watt Evans. That was one that really, really stood out to me. This was a great, this was a great read. There's a lot of great names in here. Stephen King is, of course, in here. Yvonne Naro. Let's see, who else? Billy Sue Moseman, Interview with the Psycho. That was one of my favorite ones because it takes place between two people and it's an interview. Anything that kind of gave me insight into the reality that was Louisiana State University in Baton Rouge <laughs> during the time that I was there, um, it felt like it was helping me get closer to the psychology and in some way protecting me. Hmm. Yeah. I think there was a lot of appeal in that for me. I can see how. So what I'm thinking of is, you know, the, the being invisible part of people watching it. What I'm thinking is it doesn't have to mean that you're hiding, although that obviously helps too. Mm-hmm. And so. I'm wondering how much of it is the is the reaction maybe to the trauma or maybe if maybe if the desire to be that introvert introvert even preceded the trauma and then maybe that was just why you were targeted like there's there's multiple different ways that could have played out you know what I'm saying yeah yeah Oh yeah. I've thought about this a lot. (laughs) And I think, I think by the time I was a young adult, I just did not want to be a victim. And I think that I was just looking for ways in any way that I could to Mm. protect myself. Right. So it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And then like you say, digging into the psychology of it and trying to understand those thoughts that is, an avenue for control, because if I can understand mm-hmm. the way those people think, then maybe I can avoid the danger. Absolutely. Yes, yeah. absolutely. There's, there's, I'm a big fan of Carl Jung and he's mm-hmm. talked a lot about the shadow self. You know, everyone carries the shadow and the less embodied yeah. and the individual's conscious life, the blacker and denser it is. Oh, so people like that scare me. <laughs> People who haven't really come to terms with their shadow side mm-hmm. freak me out a little bit. And that's what I love about horror people, because we're all about that, man. We're ready to get in there and, you know, make friends with that shadow side. The other and, and, Not and acknowledging sh- your shadow side is like bottling up, uh, you know, uh, stress or, or rage or feelings like that. You can't just totally. ignore it your whole life because yeah. that, that's how you get serial killers. Exactly. Yep. Heart attacks, one of the two. Or aneurysms. Yeah. <laughs> or the, yeah, yeah, those two. <laughs> exactly. Won't be the first time I've brought this up on uh, a call before, but are you familiar with the Tool song 46 and 2? 
Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> my, my favorite song of theirs. Yeah. Um, Halloween as an adult. I still love to observe. I'm, I'm up in New Hampshire actually right now, but we do try to, I'm kind of like part-time down in New Orleans because I have so much family in that area, but we do try to make it a point to go there as, as often as we can. Still, my favorite activity is to go down to the French Quarter and people watch. Mm-hmm. It kind of seems like it, when I try to dress up as an adult, it just ends up wonky or something. The last time I tried to do it, I did like vampire teeth and they fell out by the end of the night. So I was just kind of like a biker chick or something, <laughs> 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 which is fine, you know. But yeah, I really do like to see... Um, what kind of creative things people come up with. It's such a joy. Mm-hmm. Uh, any scary dreams as an adult? Uh, not really. Um, mostly, <laughs> mostly I just have trouble with insomnia lately. <laughs> <laughs> um, but when I do dream, it seems to just kind of be weird, lucid dream type stuff. Like, you know, I'll uh, go check on people or see what kind of famous people I can meet or, you know, mm try to do something I can't do in real life, like play guitar or sing or something like that. Well, that's pretty fucking cool. You're making yeah. use of your lucid dreaming. Yeah, like, you know, I can try. do anything here. So <laughs> I wonder, could someone learn an instrument if they just practiced in lucid dreaming? Hey, they, there's a theory out there that says that it does help with things like that. I don't, I'm never going to be like singing in front of people or anything. I'm just, if you want a room cleared or something like that, I can sing or, you know, try to play some. You're, yeah, I think really my thing is like writing and I'll kind of like stick to that. But mm, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. To Make have sure a little it's... bit of fun or something like that, I'll try it out in a dream. You know, it's funny is until you got into the thing about like learning how to play an instrument, I, it occurred to me that you're basically people watching in your lucid dreams. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 yeah, it's my favorite <laughs> favorite activity is to be creepy and just, you know, spot on people. <laughs> That's not a bad thing. Yeah. yeah. And anything in real life terrify you as an adult? Uh, still everything, you know. I mean, um, I, I try to to reflect on some of the horror experiences that I had through media to, to get through things. Um there's a movie, I think it's called Attack of the Killer Bees or something like that. Um, it was released in the 70s. So I was terrified of bees for the longest time. And and now, like, I tried to overcome that fear. And now I kind of keep and manage bees on my property. Oh, nice. Um, yeah. That is so, one way of uh, yeah. confronting that fear. Yeah. Right. That's I cool. still get freaked out sometimes. Like, this is the time of year where they're very protective of their honey stores. So anytime you go to check on them, they're like, Hey, you know, screw you. I'm mm-hmm. going to sting you. So yeah, it's still, it's still pretty scary, but um, yeah. I, I mean, still things still freak me out. I still have anxiety, you know, <laughs> I've just kind of learned how to manage it a little bit better through mm-hmm. meditation and, and writing more horror and reading and watching more horror. It's the greatest kind of therapy. It can be definitely. I'm interested <laughs> in the uh, being afraid of bees as a kid. Although I can also understand that. In oh, how can I say this? Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like a primal sense. Like it's mm-hmm. a, yeah. Like there doesn't even necessarily have to be a reason for it. And although in my case there was, I get stung 
mm-hmm. uh, as a kid and it, in a really bad place. It hurt like hell for days. Uh, they got me on the top of my lip. Oh, jeez! Um, ah, yeah, yeah. that's the worst. Yeah, I got it on my bottom lip. Did you really? Yep. And oh, I have, that's crazy. Like, kind of full lips already. So yeah, I was like, um, oh, God, what? What is that cartoon where the guy has the giant bottom lip? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it was comical. <laughs> I um, yeah. I was in a swimming pool at my aunt and uncle's house playing with my cousin. We were throwing a football back and forth, and he threw it over my head. So I had to turn around to go get it while I dunked under the water to swim underwater because it was easier for me at that moment. And mm-hmm. popped up where the um, the football was, but there was a bee or a wasp there that I must have like, scared. On and the surface, you just like breach, and it's like, I'm on your lip now. Yep. I'm going to sting you. Ah. <laughs> And it just felt like somebody smashed me in the top of my mouth with a sledgehammer. Yep. And we have pictures of it. Actually, it's my lip mm. is blown up to like three times the size of a normal. Oh lip. my god! It was like that for two or three days. It Kung off. Fu hustle. That was it. That was the thing I was trying to think of. It was the scene when the guy got bit by the snakes on his lips. And it was, it was like that. That is not what I was thinking of, but okay. <laughs> so yeah, I could definitely understand that being a, um, and even without having an, an experience like that, I, to me, that is like, you know, a fear of snakes or spiders. That's, mm-hmm. Yeah. It's natural. Yeah. yeah, I yeah think, like you said, yeah. bees are kind of a primal fear. Cause you just, you're taught it at a young age. Like these things are bad. They will sting you. Yeah. 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 And I think that's totally normal, but it's, it's interesting though. I mean, I went from, you know, bees to people to, to just like all kinds of things, you know, worrying about things. People and can sting you too. They certainly can. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. But and I mean, it's for a lot longer. Oh, it sure does. Absolutely. <laughs> it's interesting though, that these things, you know, eroticism too, it starts out as this very primal biological base, but in, not just us, uh, other animals too, it becomes very nuanced and complex. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of an, an interesting thing with humans. We have this very unique cognitive competence <laughs> to transform basic primal biological things into something more. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, that's always been really fascinating to me. That was an un- unexpected segue. <laughs> Uh, I was going to make the joke about another kind of sting, but uh, there was the first thing that I thought, well, well, is that where the connection was? Because I didn't see that coming. No, I agree. That's a a good comparison. You know, it's like uh, animals and and, uh, organisms on this planet in general have like a a built in response to Mm -hmm. trauma and things like that. And just uh, fight or flight and just certain things that are generationally learned they're bad like your your defense against things like bees but humans unlike everything else have a little bit more sentience so we put a layer of what does this mean yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah as you were talking about it what i was thinking about is often at least in my experience with the counseling and 12-step stuff and experience that i've had for me fears and desires <clears throat> the best analogy i can give is if you imagine standing on the corner of a street that's got a street sign uh that you know points the four directions north south east west it's kind of like being at that intersection and fear is is pointing one day one way down the street and desire is pointing the other way up the same street mm-hmm. and it's like what 
we we fear losing what we desire and if we know what we fear then by figuring it out you know analyzing it we might also understand something about what we desire too so mm-hmm. but as you say that's both of those things can be at a very primal level because there are certain things that we both fear and desire at a primal level and then there are all other things that we fear or desire Maybe not at a primal level, but for other reasons. Yeah. Anywho. <laughs> I both fear and desire bacon. I love it, <laughs> but it splashes and burns me. <laughs> That's a great example. <laughs> <laughs> Going back to our interview with Simon Bamford, just don't cook it naked. <laughs> Never cook bacon naked. <laughs> <laughs> Was there ever a time in your adult life when you felt completely calm or safe or bliss? Yeah. I, again, coffee shops, I think. And uh, my own home with my cats is very, very peaceful. And, you know, we live out here in the middle of nowhere in the woods. So um, hiking is always um, a great source of pleasure and relaxation for me as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, and I take a lot of pleasure in just writing and getting into that flow state, uh, like I always have. It's kind of become an old friend. Mm. Do you remember the last person you hurt? Hmm. Let's see. It was a family member, and it was an argument about something totally ridiculous. Um, and we've both been kind of dwelling over it for the past few months, but things are starting to get a little bit better. But it was kind of a mutual wound. Mm. So those are always so delightful. We as humans just love to overcomplicate little simple things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this Sometimes. is where we get into trouble, you know? Mm. Yep. Uh, yep. Do you remember the last person you helped? Oh, let's see. Probably my husband. Um, and again, today, we're about to go check on the bees, and I'm very grateful to have his assistance, and I think he feels the same way, because it's very terrifying to go out there by yourself and manage these creatures, you know. Um, mm-hmm. You have to have a lot of respect for him, and he's very calm, and he also kind of keeps me calm, and he says the same thing about me, so we, we <laughs> help each other in that way. It's a good balance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so the next two questions I'm going to ask, these are going to cover your entire life, and it might not just be about horror, so okay. any any genre, but I'm going to give you the next two questions at the same time, because it could be the same answer for both or, or different answers. What movie have you watched more times than any other, and what movie is your favorite movie? Let's see. I have watched The NeverEnding Story more times <laughs> than I would like to admit. Um, my mother took me to go see that film in the theater in, I guess, 84 when it first came out. And then um, she took me to see it about four or five more times because I wouldn't <laughs> sh- shut up about it. <laughs> and it's still become a comfort movie. Um, and I think it's because of the escapism um, yeah. Yeah. that appeals to me so much. There's another film, Possession, uh, that's come out on Shudder. Um, and I saw it a long time ago. It was released in 1981. Um, As the one with Sam Neill? Yes. So oh, good. my God. I never get tired of that film. Um, I love the dichotomy between, you know, love and hate and, you know, her normal 
self versus her possessed self and the whole thing going on with, with Berlin. And it, it's just so artfully and brilliantly done. Oh my gosh. Love that movie. <laughs> okay. Favorite movie. Mm, that's a tricky one. It does kind of change right now. I think it's mm-hmm. still possession. Okay. Is it something about the dichotomy that makes it your favorite or something else? I think so, because I saw a lot of parallels between that and New Orleans. In New Orleans, you can be on St. Charles Avenue, and there are just like these opulent mansions. And then you can go back a couple of blocks, and then it's a completely different neighborhood. And I saw a lot of parallels between the atmosphere in that movie and my hometown. You know, you have like this gothic quality to the South as well, where there's a lot of decaying buildings and things like that. But then you also have ultra, ultra rich people showing off their their houses and their Jaguars. So, you know, there's there's a lot of that in the the Tampa area, too, especially with Ebor and and Bayshore. And I wonder, is it the fact that swampy areas are just in a natural constant state of decay that offers them so much to that gothic theme? Oh, I think so. I mean, here we go back to water again and swamps, you know, lots of bad things happen out there. I mean, alligators, whoo! (laughs) They will eat you. Yeah, yeah. They're nothing to play around with. No. Um, Do you see any common threads about what kind of horror you like? Cannibalism, occult, metaphysical? I really like occult and metaphysical elements in horror because to me it's it's kind of like an escape i like to get lost inside that world that seems very mysterious and removed yeah like if it has its own built-in lore that yeah. has these these ancient rules absolutely yeah that's that, that kind of thing really appeals to me um mm. i kind of like to get sucked into a story and and almost almost have like an out of body experience mm-hmm. <laughs> through whatever yeah. I'm watching. Hmm. I wonder if there's some connection to that and the gothic, you know, the dichotomy between the decay and the the opulence. Oh, probably so. <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. I think that's why people get into gothic because uh, it's just kind of like another world for a lot of people. Um, there's a lot of myth and lore surrounded to it. And it's also got kind of a romantic quality um, mm-hmm. to, to a bit of the opulence too. So the dark and light, mm-hmm. fascinating stuff. Vampire the masquerade. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so this would be the point where we would talk about what common themes have been cropping up in the call and then maybe talk about those a little bit. Um so I'll say what I'm thinking and then you can either tell me I'm right or wrong or add something to it. If you think there's something that we're missing, but so I, I feel like there's two things that are kind of twin, uh, twin topics. One being, um, you know, the, the power and either power dynamics, uh, of being powerless or empowered, obviously mm-hmm. connecting back to that trauma. And then there's also this people watching introversion, uh, wanting to escape to maybe a different reality kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And as we kind of talked about earlier, that may have been too early for you to know what, which one came first, but um, uh, it's possible that 
either one of them could have come first. Um, do you think that those are like the two strongest centers for what you get out of horror? Or do you think there's something else that is in there that we haven't touched on yet? Uh, well, you absolutely nailed it. That, that's what it is for me too. Um, and I've had enough time as an adult to kind of think about these things. <laughs> and really it's, it's kind of um, a, something that comes up again and again, so much so that it shows up in my writing. So, Yep. You nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, normally, mm, normally the next question there would be any idea why you like these things. I think in this case, both are self-evident, at least in obviously with the, the traumatic situation, that's obviously why that's important to you. The introversion and escape yeah. part of it, that might just be um, an innate part of your personality. I mean, yeah which is not uncommon. Uh, particularly. Yeah, definitely. I mean, people are introverts. You can't really discuss it too much beyond that. You, that's just the way you are. Um, yeah. Just like an extrovert's an extrovert. Yeah, I really think so. So the next question is then if those are the things that are important to you, why horror? Be- couldn't you explore these things in other genres? You know, I, there's something about the the aesthetics too, that really appeals to me. And I really have always loved the way that horror has that element of social commentary to it. Um, Mm -hmm. I've always been really impressed by that. And I think it kind of started with Night of the Living Dead, uh, which is just, I mean, we could do like a whole episode on George Romero. I have kind of like a, a little bit of an obsession going on there, but he was, man, the master of that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, you know, it, it goes back to, to Carl Jung things about exploring the shadow side and horror just, it does that so well. Um, and it kind of like, uh, exposes these things that, you know, a lot of society just wants to kind of push away and stick mm-hmm. into a little box and not think about. And horror is brave enough to explore those themes. And I really respect that. Mm-hmm. How did you get into you? The library, you know, it was just like available. I think it was like Man and His Symbols was the first one that I read. And I reread it recently and as an adult. And man, oh, it was just, it was epic. Um, anyone who hasn't read Man and His Symbols and you're interested in the shadow side and psychology, I definitely recommend that one. I don't think I want to read it because I don't understand it myself and I don't want to have that. <laughs> yeah, Mike's scary. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Was that just like a random thing that you picked up at the library or was there somebody that said you need to go check this out or? I, I spent a lot of time just in libraries in general. Um, it, you know, it kind of influenced my decision to become a librarian um, and it just, just perusing psychology. I think I picked it up and I thought the cover was neat. You know, I guess as a, a young person, you're attracted to this kinds of things. Of course. Hmm. Uh, but yeah, I picked it up and read it and was a huge fan. Okay. So I, I, get, I guess something we hadn't talked on earlier in the call is it sounds like there may also be an interest in psychology in general, which of course makes sense given the people watching part of it. Yeah. Oh, definitely. That plays into it a lot. Um, you know, I do enjoy reading about it and I have kind of like an, an armchair knowledge of that kind of stuff, but I think if I had to go back to college, I'd, I'd pick up another major in it. It's I can relate. I yeah. am not classically trained in that way, but uh, you know, it's something that has been 
of interest to me ever since I was probably in kindergarten and, yeah, um, yeah. you know, multiple years of counseling and therapy and 12 stuff. So yep. you kind of start to pick it up a little bit along yeah. the way. <laughs> I think it's really common for horror fans to at least be, you know, marginally interested in it. Or at least to have participated in conversations about it enough to, right. you know. Yeah, exactly. So last question, is there anything that you've thought of that might be relevant that hasn't come up on the call? Hmm. This was really interesting. I feel like I know more about myself. (laughs) (laughs) Part of the goal, yes. Yeah, it was things. Yeah, yeah, things that I always knew, but um, it was interesting linking them together today. So, Mm -hmm. thank you for that. Our pleasure. (laughs) Yeah, pleasure. Thank you, and also to thank you to anybody out there listening. If you like what we're doing tell a friend support us on patreon buy us a coffee uh, there's links to both of those things on our website horror there's also merch all kinds of fun stuff uh if nothing else tell a friend 